Welcome to Manila Rose Podcast. My name is Nina Rose, and today we'll be investigating the sexualization of Black women here in America. Throughout my research on this topic, it became increasingly evident that Black women were sexualized by the westernized white male gaze before they were brought onto American soil. But what implications do these hypersexualizations of Black women have on today's generation, and what is it like growing up being exposed to hypersexualized imagery of Black women from a young age? My guest speakers today will weigh in on answering such questions as these and more. The hundreds of years of Black women being sexualized has forced sexuality upon Black girls, whether they like it or not. What implications does this have on their mental health and self-esteem? To answer these questions, our first guest is Dr. Morgan Gerald. She is the Assistant Professor of Psychology at McAllister College. Dr. Gerald specializes in research that examines the socioculture factors that influence young Black women's gender beliefs, health, and well-being. Her articles she's been a contributing writer on have been featured in the Journal of Black Psychology, Journal of Sex, Psychology of Women Quarterly, and the Journal of Counseling Psychology. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Gerald. Um, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on. Yeah, it's so awesome to have you back on the podcast. So thank you for coming on again. All right. So in what ways have you seen the manifestation of this sexualization impressed upon Black women and girls today? Um, yeah, so in my research, I um, look at a stereotype called the Jezebel stereotype, which um, is kind of rooted in U.S. slavery, and it was used to justify the um, sexual assault of enslaved Black women by uh, white slave owners. And so the Jezebel stereotype uh, describes Black women as being really hypersexual and promiscuous and seductive. And I certainly think that uh, Black women and girls are seen in this light across a lot of different contexts. Um, so one way I think, I think it starts pretty young for a lot of Black women and girls, but we know that, for example, Black girls are um, perceived to look older and more mature than white girls. And so from a really young, young age, they might be the recipients of more sexual harassment or inappropriate or unwanted sexual comments. Um, and I think that can really shape the way that they see their sexualization or their sexuality growing up. And then as Black women, they continue to perhaps be perceived in that manner. Um, and so uh, this can affect their dating and relationships, their family relations, um, and also the kinds of job opportunities they have, uh, their success at work and their success in school. Wow. That's definitely something that is good to bring awareness to because it has deep roots and it's still happening today. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, how does the sexualization affect their mental health and relationships? And you, you kind of went into that, but you can go ahead and elaborate a little bit. Right. More. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, black girls and women are um, more likely to view their self-esteem in terms of just their sexuality. So rooting most of their worth in their sexuality um, when they learn about these negative sexual stereotypes of themselves and learn how the greater American culture sexualizes them. And that can have a really negative effects for their mental health. Um, I also think in my own research about the steps that women take to avoid negative stereotypes or negative sexualization um, in order to prevent future sexualization. Uh, men are super negative. And it's also true that they're raised to try to avoid them. So black girls often receive messages growing up like keep your legs closed, you know, don't date someone until you're 
whatever age, you know, um, and uh, messages around respectability and purity, because also their families don't want them to be seen in line with these stereotypes. So girls are raised in a way that encourages them to try to distance themselves from the stereotypes and from being sexualized. And then they continue as women to try to act in those ways. So for example, in my research, I found um, that women that are kind of more aware of the way that black women are sexualized in American culture um, are more likely to use drug and drugs and alcohol to feel comfortable uh, during sexual relationships or sexual relations. Um, they might also be less likely to, for example, ask their partner if they're um, having sex with a male partner uh, to use a condom because they don't want to seem like overly sexually assertive or overly aggressive. And uh, so this can also put them at risk for um, more risky sexual behaviors and uh, STDs and STIs. Wow, it sounds like it's, it has like a catch 22 in a bad way because, you know, that affects their self-esteem and they're engaging in risky behavior. That's, wow. Great, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, I think Black women should be able to have safe and pleasurable and enjoyable sex mm -hmm. without having to also contend with um, being sexualized by the larger culture or contending with negative stereotypes and not having to uh, direct so much energy towards distancing themselves from that image. Right. Like they're just as multifaceted as any other woman. And they right. don't just, yeah, they deserve to have that happy, healthy sexual relationship like any other woman. Exactly. Yes. Wow. And this, uh, this already played into what you said, but um, do you see a correlation between hypersexualizing young Black women and higher rates of pregnancy, STDs, and substance abuse? Um, yes. I mean, okay, I will say that I... Um, so, like, there's a myth about uh, teen pregnancy in the United States that it's, like, really rising. Um, so that's actually less true now. So rates of teen pregnancy are going down for um, every racial group, but it's true that we associate girls of color, particularly Latinx girls and black girls um, with uh, teen pregnancy. Um, and I just, I like to problematize that, that myth a little bit, that um, there's, they're not necessarily accounting for more of uh, those teen pregnancies. Um, but certainly I do think that participating in risky sexual behavior at younger ages puts them at risk for unwanted uh, pregnancies and for STDs and STIs. Definitely, that's interesting that you brought that up that we the rates for each race are going down because it's definitely yeah. the perception today is like, it's catastrophic and right. everybody's talking right. about it. Right, oh, and I mean, I think, I think it has like such important implications when we think about reproductive health. So there's a really long history in medicine of uh, people kind of unethically experimenting on black women when it comes to different gynecological procedures or kind of more recently in the news, there were, uh, there were stories about um, these hysterectomies that happen within ICE custody. And so um, I think it's really harmful when we have these ideas that some groups of people um, are becoming pregnant at a higher rates, especially as teens, 
It can lead to ideas about eugenics and population control and who needs to be administered certain birth controls or procedures and um, has really has a really long unethical history. And so I think it's important for us to push back on some of those narratives. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That's that's very powerful right there. Yeah. In what ways does our American culture carry over this sexualization into the media that other countries in the world see? Does this put Black women more at risk for traveling? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Um, certainly American media dominates the media diet of uh, so many other countries. So we really do shape so much of the media that gets broadcast in other countries. Um, and I think that I often note that um, Americans and their media diets aren't um, exposed to too many black characters. And when they are, they mostly see stereotypical representations. But I think this is even more true for people in other countries, especially predominantly white countries. So they may be, the kinds of images that they may be seeing are very, very few black characters and very stereotypically presented black characters. Um, so when I look at negative sexual stereotypes in my research, I mostly think about it as an American phenomenon. So something that's rooted in US slavery, but it's also true that these ideas about sexualizing Black women and of them as super promiscuous exists in a lot of other countries. So um, for example, a lot of African immigrants that live in Europe are often stereotyped as being sex workers. Um, and so you can see that anecdotally, there are also a lot of stories of Black women traveling to other countries that report being um, called certain uh, names on the street or approached by men in a really unwanted way. Um, and you can see there too that the, the stereotype is really influencing the way that people around the world are perceiving black women. Definitely, definitely. That's, it's such a risk. And that's something I definitely didn't know was that black women are more at risk for traveling. I, I never thought of that before. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even within the United States, black girls tend to be more at risk uh, for sexual traffic sex trafficking. Um, this happens in other countries. And I think it's owed to a bunch of different factors. So I don't want to just simplify it and say it's about sexualization. But I think one factor is the sexualization of Black girls. Definitely. That's, yeah, I didn't even think about the traveling thing. But that that's something I've, I've and I, that's my privilege. I've never had to think about that with traveling. So I think that's very powerful to bring that awareness, especially here to explain to people like you, they, you can't even go to other countries and not feel like you're going to be approached and people are going to view you as like sexually available. Right, certainly. And I feel like for probably a lot of black people in general that I hear anecdotally that people will, before they're choosing a travel destination will try to ask around or do internet searches to see how safe it is for them or how racist. Um, a country is. And I think that Black women kind of have to doubly worry about this issue of sexualization. So for them, it's not just the racism, but this combined um, gendered racism and layer of hypersexualization that they have to worry about as they're picking travel destinations. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, what do you think needs to happen in our society to combat the sexualization of Black women and girls? What can we do as allies? 
Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned um, earlier, I think that the media has so much control over shaping the way that we perceive folks. And so in the same vein, the media can really help us to combat a lot of these negative stereotypes. I think there's a lot that we can still do to try to diversify the characters that we see on media. I think certainly things are better now in terms of having more lead actresses and characters in TV shows and movies, but I think that we could be doing better. Um, I think it's important that we empower Black women creators or creatives, so producers and directors, um, to be producing more content about Black women to try um, to ensure that we get these diverse images. Um, I also think that kind of on an individual level that we can really use social media to try to bring awareness to the ways in which Black women are sexualized all around the world. So pointing out instances when they happen to you or others and trying to educate people about why that's wrong and also calling out media outlets when they do present Black women in this really sexualized manner. So petitioning and reporting them um, so, as, so they won't do more of that in the future. Yeah, that's, that's very intuitive right there, talking about there's something that can be done. And yes. I love that you brought up ideas about, you know, you can report them, you can get a petition, like all those are great and factors that um, I feel like most of us, we, we don't even know it's a possibility, so we don't try, but now knowing that there's something that can be done. Yes, totally. Yes, I love that idea. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast again. We always love having you on here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you thank for having you. me. This was really great. Yeah, thank you. Take care. So now that we have the background of how and why the sexualization of Black women and girls still occurs in our society today, we're going to transition to someone who's experienced being sexualized by her race firsthand. Madeline Fleming is a model, actress, activist, and host of her very own TV show, The Madeline Carita Show. Madeline also has an AA degree in African Studies from Antioch College. Thank you so much for joining us today, Madeline. Thank you for having me on this show. I'm super excited about all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So with your educational background experiences of being a Black woman today, what characterization of Black women consistently stands out to you? Um... I guess that, I guess I want to I just want to start off by saying um, I am a uh, multiracial woman of color and I identify as black. So in that sentence, in that case, it's like there are some people who see me. I there are some people that can say that I'm not truly having the authentic African American female experience because there's a level of fetishization that happens with multiracial women of color in America. So I don't, I, I, I want to, I can only talk about my experience as being a black woman or a, a identifying black woman, you know, because the jury is still out and um, I'm going to put it like this, even I'm starting to notice that in the media, when they hire what is a black woman, they hire, you know, multiracial women or women that aren't necessarily indicative of what the African American woman in America looks and sounds like. So I want to make sure and put that out there. Like, uh, I am really have to talk, I can only talk about my experience uh, as a woman of color, and it does have that spin on it because as being a mixed or biracial woman, like I said, there is a level of fetishization and privilege that comes with that. 
So I want to be very real about that. And I guess for me as a woman of color, I guess I kind of just described that to you as a black woman, like, because there is a huge level of fetishization and oversexualization and hypersexualized, hypersexual, hyper sexualization due to trauma in the African-American community, especially directed at women of color. So for me as the experience, it, there is an age, which is fairly younger than I think uh, for my non-melanated counterparts, where you go from being cute to being considered a full-grown woman. And this happens around like 10 or 11, and that's when you start noticing the society over-sexualizing you. Or maybe you don't notice it. But as an adult, I notice it now even more when I'm walking down the street and I see 14-year-olds or 13-year-olds that are definitely dressed like they're grown. And we're automatically seen as older. Like when you look at the studies of how Black female children are viewed and white female children are viewed, you will see that like we are we are viewed as grown-ups when we're like 11 or 12, while they're still seen as children up until they're like fucking 22. You know, the first time I really had to deal with that was that I had like adults hit on me. I had like a janitor hit on me at a school. I had a 40-year-old therapist hit on me when I was like maybe 13 or 12. And it is because society automatically deems black women at a certain age, you are as promiscuous, as fast as my mother has referred to some of them. That girl is fast. That's why That's why the older men are talking to her. And we never want to acknowledge that, no, these older men are predators. Mm-hmm. Totally. But they're misogynists. We don't, they don't want to see the rape culture and the misogyny that is totally embedded in our society and given to us from the more Eurocentric and westernized ideas of the country that we live in. Right. We are still fighting to be seen as human. It's just the, the, the situation we're dealing with, not just as people of color, but not just as black women, it's, you know, it's like we're living in a society where we make up the fabric of the society, but we're still constantly being hit with a barrage of abused and terroristic and domestic threats coming from those Caucasian members of society. And I know there's going to be white people that are like, not all of us. And I was like, yeah, but if you don't check the other members, then it becomes all of you. Yeah. I read something that like said, mm-hmm. instead of saying, not everybody or not all men say enough enough men so i'm that's a mantra i've had is like saying enough people have done this to where we can say that about this i like that better i feel like instead of saying yeah i feel like instead of saying all men say enough enough um, enough that we're in fear i'm going to take that with me i feel like that is some that is some motivation especially mm-hmm. when you when i'm you know as women of color that's the motivation that we need because you know, it's being over-sexualized and then being seen as, you know, from the music videos, from the media. I can say the first time I saw that kind of hyper-sexualization, over-sexualization of women were, was on BET. When that I actually kids, goes into your, your second question. What age should you start seeing Black sexuality? Um, I want to say six or seven years old. Wow, that is so young. Maybe even, uh, I mean, but then it was also like when you watch movies, 
Mm-hmm. And hyper, like when you're that person of color in movies, you become hyper aware of that. Mm-hmm. So when I saw women of color, like, like uh, who at the time, like I think at the time there was Holly Berry, had just, you know, Robin Givens. Um, and when they came out, they didn't mention how great they were. They didn't mention how talented they were. They just mentioned how hot they were. Right. How attractive to, to white men were they? basically is what the media was when I was coming up. And then I saw things like Tip Drill, which is a uh, Nelly video that came on Uncut, right? Uncut is a late night show that came on BET when I was a kid, right? And it was the first thing I saw a video called Tip Drill. And the first line of it is, it must be your, your, your ass because it ain't your face. I need a tip drill. And it was oh just the fact that, like, it must be your wallet because it ain't your face. I need a tip drill. And it was basically, like, it basically sent a message at a time that, like, okay, black women's sexuality was definitely portrayed for cash. Right. And what people don't know is that uh, that series where it definitely started that whole um, hypersexualization, oversexualization, which kind of, like, it always kind of had been there, right? It's always been, we've always lived in a society that has hypersexualized black women as uh, the word was called the hot and tot, which referred to an oversexualized black woman with a big butt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was from the 1920s, 30s, like it has always kind of been there. But then that was the first time where it had just been like, whoa, okay, so this is, this is how we're seen. This is how media portrays us. And what's funny is, that series came out months after BET was sold to Viacom, which is ran by a very old white man and boards of very old white men and ran by very and ran by white people. So it feels like, you know, so it was at the time where I didn't understand that. And I think most people of color, most people of color, and especially like 13 and 12 year olds, the 13 and 12 year olds we have right now are getting a lot more savvy they're still not looking at where their music is coming from or who's orchestrating the music that they're listening to and why. I mean, thank God for the internet, though. So it has allowed artists to create music outside of that really strictly controlled music industry that was feeding Black women and Black children, just like me, that mindset. And I can say that I've had that mindset for way too long that my value as a black woman in America was either sexual or servitude. The, um, the concept is called, it's, a, it's actually the Madonna whore concept, mm-hmm. but in black terms, it has been referred to as the mammy whore concept. Oh, okay. Where, where either we are there to be the saviors of white people with no regard for ourselves, which I mean, we want to, you know, there's some elections that recently happened that makes you tell you that it ain't too, that we're not out of that yet. Mm-hmm. With regard for, without regard for ourselves and regards for it benefiting ourselves. So it becomes this altruistic kind of like, I love white people <laughs> at the cost of my own, um, at the cost of my own children, at the cost of my own family, at the cost of my own self-being and self-preservation. Which is what we're still seeing when it comes to elections. We're still seeing when we come to when it comes to black women saving America, and then once America is saved, being like, "Thanks, 
and going about their business of uh, continuing white privilege. And then you have the opposite where we're valuable if we're, if we're sexy. What age did you start feeling objectified by society? 11, 12. So young. It is though, but you know, like I like we had talked about before, when it comes to being a black woman in America, we're constantly seen as adults when our white counterparts are seen as children, even though we're the same age. So we yep. might be a little bit taller, you know, we might have a little bit more physicality, we might, you know, have a little different things, but we're still considered we are still children. So a lot of the time, like the um the patri like I, I don't want to keep saying the patriarchy, so I'm gonna try to say something else. Like the westernized system in America has already deemed that, you know, when, like for instance, when black children go missing, there's statistics on this. When black girls go missing, they assume that they ran away. That's true. They'll say that they're fast. They'll say that, oh, well, she must have ran away. But when white children go missing, they go, oh, she was kidnapped. Mm -hmm. Oh, she was kidnapped. Oh my God, somebody must have snatched her. But it's never the same. It is, it's never equal when it comes to how women of color are portrayed until they need us. We are the lowest on the totem pole when it comes to being paid. We're the lowest on the totem pole when it comes to actually getting government assistance. So there's this idea of the black welfare queen, but then when you look at the stats, most people who are on welfare are white women and children. It's, it's being sexualized so young, and all the sexualization when I was young came from white people, came from white men. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and they automatically, like, even though I was young, and it was obvious that I was young, mm -hmm. you know what a 12-year-old sounds like. I don't care what how tall a 12-year-old is. I don't care what, what you think she's wearing or not wearing. You know what a 12-year-old sounds like. You know how they act, and when they second that they open their mouth, you know what a child, you know it's a child. Why would you even be attracted to that? I mean, we're still dealing with, you know, we're living in a society that, like, it was okay for us to be used as sexual tools. It was okay for us to sell albums with our booties. But now that we're taking um, hold of it, like, how, ma how many artists have you seen, like, Cardi B is facing, facing all this criticism, but it was okay when there were videos called Tick Drill? It was okay when we were watching male hip hop artists, you know, show off women of color as property. Yeah. You know, yeah. Watching Eminem get up in bed with two two porn stars. You know, it was okay, but now that women are doing the same exact thing, but for ourselves, we're facing, you know, we're facing this patriarchal retribution, as in like you're a hoe and blah 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 or Oh, you have an OnlyFans? You must be a hoe. But these are the same guys who are watching hours of Pornhub. Like, yeah. Pornhub to the point where, like, it's three or four hours of them watching Pornhub. Where right. they have, where their sexuality, like, their sexuality and how they see women has been formed around porn. Mm -hmm. Daily. Like, I, I tried to explain to a part, like, to a partner who is a white man that I was experiencing racism every day. And I was. I was experiencing racism, misogyny, like, uh, you know, I've had, I've had old white men come up and just decide that they're going to kiss me out of nowhere. I have had experiences, and not just old white men, I've had young white men that just assume because they saw a video 
you know, I've had one of them say, well, I watch music videos. I know what black women are into. And I was like, what? Because you saw a three minute video. You assumed you knew what I was about. Which just told me that they didn't see me as a mom, as a person with dementia. They saw me as, you know, they see us as either for pleasure or for servitude. Oh yeah, but like I was saying, like I have a, a partner that's white and male, and it took him a long time to not think that I was just making it up. Right, which is ultimately disrespectful. Well, I mean, also he was coming from a society that, of course, black women are making it up. There's no way white people could be that bad. You know, and it wasn't until we started getting cameras that they were able to see what their counterparts had been doing to us. You know, now we're seeing Karens, and the Karens are mad that they're being called Karens. But had no problem calling us Shaniquas, had no problem calling us Linglings, you know, no, no, had no problem calling us derogatory words as people, as women of color. It's watch, weird watching women, and I think that's also part of the, like, whenever we were talking, like, what I was saying earlier about, I'm not like other women. That's just, for me, it's just a symbol that you're a pick-me. And you're like, please, man, like me. Like me no matter what. Please. Like, it just feels desperate when women say that, say those kind of things out loud to me. So just going to shift the topic here, Madeline. Um, have you had any negative negative experiences traveling as a Black woman? Oh, Yeah. Definitely, kind of touching on what I talked about earlier, you know, I have had white men come up to me and decide that they're going to stick their tongue down my throat without me knowing them, talking to them, just out of nowhere. I was actually working a job for, uh, I was working a job for McDonald's, not at the counter, but I was working for the corporate part as a marketer. So I was helping them create campaigns. We were going, we were traveling around Minnesota and we were doing campaigns. We were doing giveaways. I was helping them in their marketing department like as a marketer and brand ambassador for them. And I'm sitting there and I'm nice to this guy and I'm just like, hey, how are you doing? All of a sudden, he's like, hey, what's that over there? And I look and I turn back and his tongue is in my mouth. This man has to be 75 years old. Oh. And this was at the beginning of COVID. What? This was at the beginning of COVID. This was, this was like, March uh, 2020 of last year, before, like a week, maybe a week before shutdown happened, but we had known in March that there was a virus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's that kind of behavior. And you know what's the craziest part? Most of the bad experiences that I have had with, with men have been from white men. And most of them have come from the Midwest. And in fact, most of them have been from Minnesota, even in other states. My problems with white men over sexualizing me, they were coming from, they came from Minnesota. And you would think, and the problem is, is that they get away with the, I'm a Mr. Nice guy. But it doesn't take anything to be nice. Nice is a minimum. Yeah, that's like the bar minimum. The bare minimum is to be a nice person. Be a good person by not sticking your tongue in somebody's throat, by not deciding that they want to have sex with you because you want to have sex with them. The veil of this fake America, this fake American dream is falling. And I think we're helping that fall, but it's also a point where we can help, we're going to help it heal. 
and only to heal ourselves. Because man, we're doing this because we, we, we are all victims and we all have been victimized. And we're like, well, it's enough. Like you said, like I'm gonna use your motivational quote. It's enough. Enough. Enough you know? people. Yeah, like you told me something that I thought was really, that really resonates that um, it's not, it's not sexy, it's racist. And that was something that I think that you said that really resonated with me, just like enough. Mm -hmm. And I hope that your viewers and everybody who watches this um, and watches all these episodes takes that and realizes that it is enough. You want a better world, then we have to do the things to stop. We have to stop the bad people. Uh, what do you think, and this actually kind of goes into what you were just talking about, but what do you think needs to happen in order for Black women to stop being so hypersexualized in society? And then what can allies do to help? I think allowing Black women to take control of their own sexuality would probably be the most helpful thing. You know, so what does not, that, just for the viewers, what does that look like? Like, how can we identify that a woman is taking charge of her sexuality versus her being sexualized? I mean, it's happening though. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, as much as people want to talk about the over-sexualization, want to talk about Cardi B is too sexy, they mm -hmm. want to talk about the stallion is too sexy and she must have did something to get shot, like of course victim blaming. Um, it's already happening. These are women of color who, you know, they may be playing the game by being a little bit over-sexualized, but they're playing the game that they want to play. Cardi B is playing the game she wants to play. She decides what she wears when she goes on stage. She decides what she sings about. Um, I think it's already happening as these women in our generation, I love Zoomers. I love the generation that's coming up behind us millennials because these girls, these women, not girls, not, not women yet, these girls are more hyper aware of who they are, how they want to be, and how they want to like be seen in the world than we ever were. I agree and with you. I think that movement is finally happening where they are sexual. They are sexual within their terms. They run their own businesses. They run their own careers. I like fact, this presentation of like black women as multifaceted like you can be sexual and you can be successful and smart so i like that image that they're creating for themselves for sure we're not monoliths yeah you know we are dimensional and all all people are dimensional we're not monoliths we're not stereotypes like that the tv wants to create mm -hmm. and things like the internet and just recently with you know even with black lives matters black lives matters is founded and run by women of color and it's not an easy job when you think about it. Think about how many people are just angry about Black Lives Matter. Just angry. Mm -hmm. How many comments have you seen about those Black Lives Matter people? It's, it's just ridiculous. But those same people will stand behind Candace Owens and be like, yeah, she's right. I don't know if you know who Candace Owens is. I unfortunately do. You do, you know. And they want to hold her up as a symbol because she plays into their fantasies. She plays into their, their backwards ideology. So, I mean, we're doing it currently by speaking out, by talking like we are here about what is our experiences in this America as women of color. Mm -hmm. um, how, how are we being seen? How is that affecting us? You know, 
as we start being able to talk more about our trauma in an open way, as we start finding more ways to be, um, like to allow ourselves to feel emotions, because it's hard to live in a society as a woman of color when you're constantly being taken advantage of and you always kind of have to keep your head, you know, wake up and you might be getting attacked. And then you know if you can, if you get attacked by a, a white man in America, you might not have much recourse. Like, uh, and what is that one, the, uh, like, which, what sucks is that the only reason I know, like, the Wizards of the they described him, you know, that rapist, who was a swimming captain, or I guess, I don't know. Oh, swimming. Brock Turner. Brock, Brock Turner. Turner. They don't mention that he was raping a woman of color. They don't mention that she was an Asian woman being raped by a, by a white man. And then we bring, and then they wonder why he only got three months. Mm-hmm. I, when you see who she is, it's an Asian woman being molested and taken advantage of by a white man. You know, these are details that they leave out because they don't want to. They don't want to see what has been happening to us and what they they themselves are doing to us. You know, um, it's it's a long road. It's a long road, and I feel like the more we have conversations with each other, you know, the more we have conversations with ourselves, the more that women of color are allowing ourselves to finally be like, "Wow, what I thought was me failing was me just trying to survive in a society that does not want me to succeed." You know, as we as we grow more, I don't want to use the word woke, as we wake up a lot more, just women of color, like, you know, there's some things that you brought up to me where I was like, damn, I didn't realize that was happening to me. I like what you said, we're paving the way for the generations behind us. We are. Like, I, I would be embarrassed to have, to sit down and have my, my future grandchildren ask me, well, what did you do? I would be ashamed. I would be ashamed to have lived on this planet and not contributed anything to the people who are coming up to us. I'd be ashamed to have to sit on my butt. You know, I, I feel like if I was 70 years old right now and I didn't do anything to stop what I'm seeing on TV or Black Lives Matters, I would be ashamed of myself. I feel like, I, I personally feel that it is our responsibility to make a better world for the people who are coming up underneath us, especially for the women who are coming underneath us you know, who are coming up and growing up underneath us. These future, these future women of color that have to deal with this world, I want to make it so, well, um, I read, a, I saw something yesterday where there's a term called got it out the mud. I do not want to, I do not want to leave a world or a legacy behind that said that I did nothing. And I think everybody should be ashamed to not do anything. Like I know people, who, I know there's a lot of like performative allies who think that leaving memes and stuff on the internet is doing something. Like, oh, sorry, but your meme isn't actually stopping people from being shot in, like, stopping for situations. That's like, true. sorry, that Garfield meme that you made, not actually stopping people from being raped or the inequality that women of color face in this country. Mm -hmm. So do something. Actively spread the word. Actively wake people up. Actively go out there and be outside to defend women of color, defend people of color. Go and be at the pipelines. Like, it's not enough to be on the internet saying, oh my God, it is, it, that's nothing. That's absolutely nothing. And I would be embarrassed if that's the legacy I left behind. I don't want to so, focus on that note, but. Um, no, we can switch up. No, we're going to leave this on a happy note. So on that higher, on that higher note, um, Madeline, how can our viewers uh, find you off of this interview? 
Um, easiest way to find me is uh, my online moniker or uh, avatar is Queen Kong Kai. Q U E E N K O N G K I. You can find me on YouTube, Instagram, all of that. I also do a late night talk show called the Madeline Carita Show because Madeline Carita is my Madeline Carita is my first name. Um, and I wanted to make sure when I did a late night show, I didn't want to whitewash myself. Because when I get on that camera, I am a woman of color. And I face the world as a woman of color. And I want to make sure that like my show is just about being of color. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure when I did the Madeline Carita show, a late night talk show, where it's a little bit comedy, a little bit real, a little bit controversy, that I didn't have to leave out any of the parts of me as a uh, Black Native American woman. Even though there's a lot, you know, uh, for all this stuff, we talk about white people and Black Native American, French, and Irish, and Italian. So there's a lot going on there. But at the same time, when the world sees me, they don't see the French, Irish, and Italian. They see Black and Native. Make sure you guys check out the late night show, Madeline Carita Show. I know, shameless plug. Shameless <laughs> on here. No, I want you to plug it. <laughs> Didn't you get on? You got on like Amazon, right? Yes. Um. Well, it's going to be on Amazon Prime here in 2021. Um. I'm also doing a documentary called Seven Days in Minneapolis, where I was on the ground for every uh, part of the uh, Black Lives Matter protest. So that's going to be on Amazon soon. I was trying to set that up for Amazon this January, but I recently got a call from the. Uh, uh, American Black Film Festival. So it might not be getting released so soon because they want to they wanna feature it and release it there first. Oh my gosh, congrats. That's amazing. So I'm super excited about that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yay! All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Therefore, the sexualization of Black women and girls has been happening in America for hundreds of years and has damaging consequences on their mental health and how they are treated in society. But what we do with this knowledge to change the sexualized narrative of black women and girls in America from here counts. Black women are just not another flavor of background dancer in music videos. Now we've covered some heavy content and mental health is important no matter who you are or where you're at in life. So before rolling credits, there'll be mental health resources to call or text. Thank you for watching the Manila Rose podcast. Tune in for our next episode discussing the sexualization of Latinas in America with Jonas Maria Jimenez Moya. And remember, it's not sexy, it's racist. Take care.